Welcome to the Optimalist Podcast, where we examine just what it takes to ensure humans flourish in the age of AI. I'm Sarah, your host through this exploration of mindfulness, attention, focus, and motivation, all elements of human flourishing. So how do we cultivate them? This week, we are taking a short break from regular episodes to celebrate where we've been so far since we launched the podcast back in April. We're also celebrating the renaming and rebranding of the product that inspires all of this work. So as of this Monday, Focusable is now known as Engageable. We decided to make this big change because we thought a lot about the core and heart of our mission and what we want to help people do on their own, both in a school setting and at work and at home. And what that comes down to is engageability. Focus is only a part of that. Attention is a huge part of it. But how well do you engage with the world around you, the life in front of you? What's keeping you from better attention in work, school, or home? And as an extension, better participation in those things. Engageable is, just as focusable was, the pulse you need for better attention. But now, we're asking you to hold yourself more accountable by being mindful of the way you feel and live every day. You can visit GetEngageable.com now and follow Get Engageable on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, have a listen to some of the highlights from the guests of our first nine episodes. I hope they inspire you to go back and listen to anything you may have missed. And thanks for being with us so far. Enjoy. It can be scary and it can be overwhelming. It can be empowering at the same time. And I think it's too early to make decisions about this is how you navigate AI and education. To me, this is the time for what kind of questions do we want to ask in our department or in our, with our leadership teams in a, in a district or with teachers and a PLC. Like it's not about answers right now at all. I think it would be premature to jump to answers and even claim that we have them. But then I like to balance that with students who genuinely like really struggle on tasks that are put in front of them in a classroom. And the task that's been designed has nothing to do with what's being assessed. And then I think at that instance, why are we not allowing students to use tools to remove barriers to task completion that's getting in the way of them showing what they understand? We didn't equip teachers with how to help kids focus. We didn't help students with how to stay focused in this constantly, this constant world of like inundated with distraction and temptation to open the tab and play the game or watch the video or it's probably going to become more important to be able to know how to walk away from those distractions or how to work within those distractions more than ever. I'm like, okay, I got to get out in the fresh air, feel the sun on my face before I pass out. <laughs> and I just started walking and breathing and I realized, okay, this is not life or death. Yes, there's something that needs to be worked on. Yes, it needs to be fixed. What can we do? So I call him back and we work through it and, you know, we make a plan. And his boss is so incredibly kind. He got on the phone with me and said, hey, how can we work together? This takes a village. I want to be in your village. And goodness gracious, I'm thankful for people like that, that understand, you know, neurodiverse human beings and, you know, are willing to, we're all neurodiverse, to be honest, but to be willing to, 
you know, I don't know, work together. And that's what we're trying to do. We're all just trying to work together. And I think, okay, that was as, as cruddy as that was when that happened to me that day, that was a win, mm-hmm. right? That was not a big, huge goal that I constructed for myself. Wasn't there? I did not have any massive action plan to accomplish, mm-hmm. but it was to be able to, okay, this is a win because I was able to stop and pause and refocus and recenter and remanage how I was going to treat this. Right. Go, you know, start each day thinking, hey, I'm going to find that $5 bill in the back pocket of my jeans today, mm-hmm. you know, that I didn't know was there. That's that sudden jolt mm-hmm. <laughs> of happiness and joy that, you know, you don't think is there, but it it's there. You stick your hand in your back pocket and like, oh my gosh, what's a $5, $5 in my back pocket? That's amazing. You know, it's so like just approach each day. Like there's something that you're going to find there's something yeah. good. Look for that good in the daily grind. I mean, so many of us just wake up and go, oh, great. It's Monday. You know? But yeah, who I wants know, to live I, like that? You don't like. I know. Yeah. I know. And I think for self-care and to nurture yourself, it's like you just kind of have to. It's a choice, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have to intentionally make a choice to laugh at yourself, uh, share an accomplishment that maybe with a colleague or a friend or your family I'm just uncovering those little hidden gems of wins that make that positive impact on on your mental health. There might be the intention is that how can we help teachers embed this or integrate this? But I feel that programs can actually backfire on us for a number of reasons. And so I prefer to look at SEL as who we are and what we do every day of our lives, um, how we interact with people. Uh, how we get to know ourselves, um, how we live into our values and how we make decisions um, and how we lead our lives. I think that just some more explicit intentional focus on the self-awareness and social awareness would really help our students um, be able to, once we're, we're thinking about their mindsets and who they are and how to connect with other people, we'll actually see that happen in practice more often. I, I think one of the first things is to realize that this is a human skill set. And so mm-hmm. we all can do this. We don't have to be an expert in it. We just have to be willing to be on the journey. And it is a journey. Yes. Um, you're never going to be fully confident in all of those skills at any one time. But your willingness to engage in that journey. And, and I think that even more importantly is we need to find what is an authentic fit for us and our personality and have it align with what our students need and the context in which we're teaching. So what SEL looks like in an art class or in a business ed class is going to look different than my social studies class, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think we should pick what we can do and make explicit and invite students to be part of that process. So, And knowing that when we work together as a collaborative, connected community of educators and adults, we're providing that network of support for our students. I kind of started with mindfulness and moved into SEL and actually realized how much you need that mindfulness as a foundation for the practice. Because as you said, mindfulness is paying attention. It's understanding what's happening in your emotions and your body, um, Mm -hmm. in your thoughts 
It's being able to intentionally cultivate states of compassion and care. And there's this conversation out there in the SEL field. And um, like I said, this worry that we're kind of just slapping it on as a Band-Aid or we're um, you know, doing this one size fits all approach and potentially actually incurring harm if we're not um, being aware of students' different needs, if we're not being aware of our positionality, if we're not taking trauma into consideration. And so I think mindfulness, this, this kind attention, this deep awareness, having that as a foundation is what allows us to actually bring this program in in a holistic and equitable mm. way. I think it's beautiful that we have so many apps and so many resources out there. And if you just start by opening up a guided meditation and you don't have any kind of pre-awareness of um, what it might look like and it might feel like, you're going to get disappointed and disgruntled. And mm -hmm. I can tell you that I've been meditating every day-ish um, for, <laughs> you know, almost 10 years. And I've gotten to, you know, what you might call a, a happy place or a, you know, <laughs> nice, nice zen place, like mm -hmm. handful yep. of times. Like I am a type A constantly moving, planning, um, incredibly overthinking person. And that's what pops up every time I sit down and meditate. And what this practice is, it's not about clearing your mind, but it's just about recognizing what's there and being able to be more discerning and say, okay, you know, this thought is popping up. Do I want to follow it? Do I have to believe it? Do I want to create that story and go down that path? Or do I just want to kind of let it go and wait for the next thought to inevitably pop up? When I'm in the middle of my busy classroom and I didn't get enough sleep last night and, you know, there's five students calling my name at the same time, it, I start to be able to instead of lose it and yell at them, I start to be able to notice, okay, there's heat rising in my body and and I've got this clenching feeling and I'm mm -hmm. noticing frustration arising. What can I do in the moment, right? And mm -hmm. and so this, this practice, this habit formation of being able to sit quietly, or I'm going to say, um, if it doesn't get said often enough, some of us can sit quietly. You know, I've met a lot of people who, for whatever reason, either at the beginning or just, you know, all the time, it's not for them. You're just too wiggly. You just have to move around. So um, why not just doing some mindful walking, gently pacing? My partner feels um, the most mindful when he's running mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and he incorporates with exercise. It's different. But if you are really first off having the intention to pay attention and 
just following that practice of every time um, your attention wanders, because it's going to hundreds of times, just bringing it back to whatever it is you're initially paying attention to, whether it's, you know, the breath or a body sensation, or if you're walking or moving, the feeling of your feet on the ground. It's just that bringing back. And every time you're doing that, you are literally creating neural pathways in your brain. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, as you said before, the beautiful thing is you take that skill and you bring it into life. And I guarantee you will notice changes. Because it's always in our back pocket, we allow things to hijack us emotionally in a way that normally might not happen if we didn't have access to that type of tech in such a quick response time so frequently and so consistently. Right. So here's what I mean by that. And this will tie into uh, what you mentioned earlier about self-reg in adults. A lot of the work that I do with educators is exactly that. Getting the adult in the room to understand that they are the game changer in front of their kids and how they respond and reply is incrementally vital to the tone, the culture that they create inside the classroom. So I will say to staff all the time, what's your, what are your boundaries for tech with your spouse? Just as a really legit example or with your kids your own kids. So, you know, a classroom teacher is a parent. Let's say she has a 12-year-old child. And does the student have, does the child have free will to text and and expect a response during mom's instructional day? Right. Particularly if the morning routine was bumpy and they had a bit of a blow up before school and it's now carrying over. 150% for sure that exchange is causing mom, the teacher who's now flipped her role from being a parent to an educator, that is absolutely having an impact versus how she's working with her own students at that time. There is so much value in, in 10 minutes of rest throughout your workday away from your students. Uh-huh. And if it means you've got to get a little bit better at planning your lunch from the night before so you can have that clarity and have that ability to reset your nervous system, because that's really what we're talking about here. Yes, it is. When we were living in a time where all of this tech wasn't so accessible, you know, we we did a pretty good job when you had to read something from a book. Yes. As opposed to read something from a screen. You know, pencil and paper, it to me, holds so much value in a tool for self-reg. So having to be slow, having to go through the fine motor skill of writing. Yes. Um, which I love. And yeah, I do too. Like, and, the, the, some of the people I've worked with used to give me such a hard time because I would, I would use a pencil and paper ca- calendar. And 
that to me was a, a guardrail in some cases. I mean, I don't always use pencil and paper. For this particular application, it was the, the right thing to do. But it forces you to say, hey, do I really need to put that in there? Yes, it does do that. I use a paper planner in yeah, in the same way. Which, exactly what I mean. And I, I do live by my Google Calendar, but it that really is just a list of events. It's not pretty much. It's not really planning. I put them in there. I put things go in there when they're booked to know when things, you know what I mean? You're not, you, you need to know when things are happening or where you have to be at certain times, but it's not a planner. Yeah. Um, and that to me is really valuable because it also inter interacts with reflection. Ex exactly. As well. We're trying to replace what we used to get through these other online portals or groups or whether it be gaming or whether it be your Facebook mommy group or whatever the sense is, I think that lost connection is really profound. It means we've lost, we've lost connection to the people. So, you know, as a human, that exchange of conversation and interaction through gesturing and all of those human connectivity things we, we need we're getting less and less of. And um, I think also, I, I think people are so filled with worry right now, too, because of the state of the future, the economy. Mm -hmm. there, there, There's a lot of things to be worried for, worried about. So we talk about that in class. I talk about that choice. Like the first step is like you have to pretend that you care about this thing. And then yes. eventually, like the quote you read, Mm -hmm. I think eventually you actually do care. The curiosity kind of starts to burn and then you want to know something else. And that's, you're exactly right. And I think that's a really big part of the way I try to process the world and what I try to convince my students to do as well. So maybe we're curious and we seek that input and we, we, we consume things to feed that curiosity. But then at some point we need to stop and then just process all of that, right? And and with no other, uh, for me at least, no real agenda except to process it. So I'll just sit down and write with no real end in mind because that's one way that I figure out what do I think about any of this stuff that I just, because otherwise it just disappears into the ether of my mind if I don't right. have that moment, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for me, reflective writing is a really important part of this learning this thing I was talking about about curiosity earlier. So in in my class, that's a regular part of what we do. We have to stop and just write because um, it's part of thinking. Otherwise, we're not we're just like you said, it's not I'm not creating anything. I'm not going anywhere. At the beginning of the school year, one thing I do to help with this kind of connectedness with each other is I randomly just put the kids into groups of five at the very first day of school. And I tell them, you didn't choose these groups. You wouldn't have chosen them. Your job is to figure out how to work together. And they often don't like it. It's difficult. But, uh -huh. at, but by the end of the year, they're repeatedly telling me that those are now their, some of their most interesting friends. We've realized that we all disagree or see the things differently, but it makes for such vibrant and interesting conversations when we're talking about XYZ. So throughout the year, they've built a connection with each other, with these different people that on campus, they typically would have just walked past. A lot of times the school system and life in general has kind of brainwashed people to think 
It's the end product that's valuable, the grade, the letter grade, the score, which is completely erroneous, right? There's no learning mm -hmm. in the letter grade, in the GPA, that there's no learning there. And it, um, John Darnielle from the Mountain Goats has a, has a colorful way of talking about it. He says that the end, the end product is a carcass. Yes. All the work leading up to it is where the, where the learning was. Things like social media and the internet, as I think about quite a bit, a lot of these experiences are tailored just to drain our attention and keep us scrolling. And it's almost like this idea that everything is super important, which makes nothing super important. And I think about the social lives of my students in their classes and Constantly, there are new updates and pictures and feeds being updated. And I'm sure that for many of them, there's this fear of sort of being left out and left behind if they're not always giving some attention to that. Also, the idea that if you don't like something in the first five seconds, don't just abandon mm -hmm. it. Give it a little bit of time as well, because sometimes that first impression is one thing. And then over time, once it starts to resonate, then maybe that interest gets developed. And I mean, I, I think about things that I'm interested in, and a lot of them I was not interested in at first. But then over time, as I learned more, I, it just I developed a passion for it. it. It's not all just sort of like a lightning bolt all the time. If we are going to tell kids, you need to think about how much you're using your phone. You need to think about how much you're using social media. I think we need to bring the parents along, the caregivers along, to get them thinking about the same kind of things. Are they being intentional with their use of Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever they're on? Are they watching YouTube videos one right after right. another? Do they understand how information is served up? Do they understand the algorithms? Do they understand... Because we can talk until we're blue in the face to students about how you really need to be cognizant of this and intentional with it. But if the student goes home and sees their parent doom scrolling on TikTok for four or five, six hours a night, it kind of, I don't know, it's just not as effective. So I think parents are a really important component in this mix of how we get students to start using technology in a responsible way. To me, there's this circle where you have students and teachers and parents all working together. And when they do, I'm hoping that parents come to the realization like, oh, holy smokes, I'm not thinking about how I do social media. When I get home from work or the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is just scroll and scroll and scroll. I'm complaining about my own kid, but I have a problem. And I'll say, you know, if we keep giving and giving, the world will keep taking and taking. We only have so much. Mm -hmm. And so how is our well-being? You know, if we if our well is empty, we can't give to anybody. And if our well is just to the top, then we have just enough for us. And so we have to make sure that we're creating opportunity for our well-being to just overflow so we can give to others. And I'm like, that means taking a nap. That means saying no to driving somebody to something. And, and parents struggle with that. And I think it's selfish and teachers sometimes struggle with, I'm like, don't grade that tonight. Grade that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to get your rest. And, 
it's I don't know how to exactly frame it, but it, it's a way where it's almost like we're sacrificing ourselves for the benefit of others. And then the question I always ask, is that what you want your children to do as they grow mm-hmm. up? If I'm walking down the hallway, say I'm going from one teacher's room to another teacher's room. If I'm doing a mindful walk, then I'm just paying attention to my footfalls. I'm right, mm-hmm. left, right, left, feeling how it feels for my heel to hit the floor, feeling how it feels for my toe to hit the floor. And just in that moment, and somebody walks up and is like, oh, Miss Cassa, can you help me with this? They're not interrupting anything. I don't have to pivot or transition. I'm aware and fully present and ready to go do what I need to do. So if you were to, I guess, recommend or just kind of give people one last insight into the way you think, what is one method that you use to focus or to help yourself kind of train to focus that you think is working for you? Um, so I've, I've started adopting fun, like the, the breathing techniques and focusable have reminded me to be more aware of my breathing. So I've tried to adopt breathing as a way to like slow myself down because I, if I start getting wound up, then I find it hard to settle down and kind of focus on something. So I've been trying to do that. And the other ones, it's a two part one. I like, like because of the connection to music and it's had a really important part kind of role in my life. I like forcing myself to play an album the entire way through without yes. skipping or having a playlist. And like, just there's certain albums that I can work the entire way through. And I know if I can do it's 45 minutes or 55 minutes of work straight through on whatever I'm working on. And then certain albums have like a nice pace and a flow and like an up and down, like there's really good storytelling going on in there. And it's, it starts, you might be energetic in the beginning then it slows down and gets a little more reflective and it picks up at the end. So like, I, I love that. I always put on, um, um, uh, uh, into the wild. Like I love that soundtrack and it's all Pearl jam, but there's a, something about that album that f- helps me just kind of like slow down and settle in and focus and work on things. Being able to take that time to practice paying attention because it is a skill. It's something, you know, our teachers all kind of yelled at us when we were kids, right? Pay attention. But now we're finally starting to realize that you need to practice it. So um, having that daily habit does help me to pay more attention uh, in the moment when things are crazy. <laughs> um, for me, it has been, um, I have pr- practiced mindfulness regularly for the last few years and now daily for the last, I'm going on day 340 or something like that. That has just taught me a, a tremendous number of things about myself. Like I, I can catch myself now. Uh, I think people have a misunderstanding of meditation or mindfulness. They think they're trying to clear their mind and it's not. It's just recognizing when you lose focus and you lose attention. And I am so much better at that now. And so I think I am, I think I'm calmer. I don't think I lose my patience as much anymore. So it's just, I've just made that a a daily part of my routine. 
Oh my God, this is such a hard question. Um, so a few things that I try to do for me. I, I have tried to set some really clear goals. So at this stage of my life, I kind of know what I want to do and what I don't want to do. So that helps. I think it's important to play as adults. In other words, um, you know, what's your version of adult recess? You know, um, I, Todd and I play a lot of golf. So for us, uh, when we travel, it's usually built around some kind of a golf opportunity someplace. Um, I'm ruthless with my time and with my calendar. I protect it like crazy. I mean, sleep, diet, the, the usual, pretty, some pretty clear boundaries. I also love, I also am a person who's quite happy to, to be on my own. You know, um, uh, you know, I've, I've had a great group of girlfriends who are, you know, We've been friends for 40 years and lots of colleagues who are friends. And, but I also just sometimes like hmm, better attention comes from sometimes just being in solitude. So that's maybe, that's maybe what I'd kind of say. My favorite is just living as mindfully as possible, um, staying as present as possible. And that makes me as available as possible. So if I'm like I talked about earlier, if I'm walking down the hallway, I'm trying to keep just right, left, right, left as my feet hit the floor. So that way, when someone comes up and needs me, I'm able to help, which is my favorite thing to do is help others. All right. I'm going to go back to just seeing the victories. Um, those victories are there. Those small wins are there. Um, if we lose sight of the wins, um, our goals, I think it could prevent the results from happening the way that we're meant to see them. So just being more open to, you know, not being so stuck, not being so focused on the obstacles, but looking more at the wins and the victories. So one thing that I do is whether it's a reminder on my phone or even an, having an object to remind me or using a, a different app reminding yourself to be present throughout your day and just taking that time to just look at your surroundings, think about your environment, take in what's around you, and also to be gentle with yourself when you do that and to not be judgmental if you are having trouble focusing as well. I think those two things really go hand in hand because if I, and in the past, I've done this where I'm in a situation where I am really, really having trouble being present and I end up trying to be present, but then I just end up getting frustrated and it makes everything worse. And just giving yourself that gentle reminder, it can really make a big difference, especially if it's done consistently and making it into a practice. And then uh, it, it can just, for me, it's helped me be present a lot throughout. Uh, throughout the day. I like, as I think I alluded to earlier, I like to go somewhere where I can't accidentally spend my attention on other things. So like being in the water forces me to be completely present and ingest that. And all I can do is pay attention to the feeling of the water and the rise and fall of the swell and the feel of the wind and 
what the shore looks like. And I know we all can't do that, but if there's a way to slice away those other things that might steal our attention, that's what works for me, to force myself into that. And it's not much of a force because I love being in the water anyway. Oh, you know, in our conversations that this is still something I work on, but there are two things that I lately that have been helping me. Um, one is that I don't hop from project to project. As soon as I start to find myself like going to something else, I'll come back and I'm like, just finish this and close it. Because then I end up with a bunch of things like open and I get frustrated because I feel like I'd ever finished anything when in fact I finished off like that makes sense a whole lot of little things, but reminding myself to finish what I started and honestly taking true breaks where I used to work and then eat lunch while I was working and then eat dinner while I was working. And I'm like, I just will go away from the computer for a while and sit and actually eat my food and listen to music or go take a walk or, you know, do some tours around the house and then come back and work. And I feel that that actual break gives me more energy and helps me refocus again when I need to do that deep thinking. Hi, Sarah here again, just reminding you that I'm always looking for your feedback. It's truly the best way to help us grow and keep getting better. Where can you leave this feedback? You can leave a comment on Substack, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me on Twitter at scandela9. You can listen and subscribe to The Optimalist Podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. Seriously, anywhere. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and links to all of these resources are always available in the show notes. The Optimalist Podcast is brought to you by Engageable, the only app that gives you the pulse you need for better attention. And yes, it's free. You can create an account today at getengageable.com or by downloading Engageable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at Get Engageable on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, which, by the way, is another place where you can find all of our previous Optimalist episodes. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist, and I'll be back next week with a whole new conversation. Stay engaged.